It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born Hello and welcome back to uh, episode three of uh, American Losers three-part series on Tammany Hall. Uh, I'm your host KP Burke. Uh, with me as always, my handsome Dilf of a father. How are you feeling? Okay, yeah, we're doing okay. We're hanging you're, in. You're fresh off hernia surgery, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, well, it's all right. We don't have to announce that to the world, but uh, we're, we're, we're getting go- we're getting there. It's pretty good. His uh, his so he had hernia surgery. Um, his any belly button got popped into an Audi for a little bit. And my insides wanted to go to the outside, so we thought we'd do something. It about looked that. like uh, that doesn't sound miserable at the all. Not yeah. at all. And it looked like uh, Total Recall. So. <laughs> <laughs> Quinn the reactor. <laughs> so, uh, that familiar voice behind the ones and twos for our regular listeners is uh, our, our pal, the Big Kahuna, is back in. What's today. going on, yeah, guys? There he is. All right, man. Uh, the first two parts is this is a weird episode, man, and I'm happy you're here, Kahuna, because what we're going to do is we're going to do a little recap. Uh, for the people that have been listening, because uh, this episode is taking us three weeks to get through all the source material. Okay. Wow. When's the last time you were in New York City, Kahuna? Ooh, uh, maybe about a month ago. Okay, so about a month ago. So uh, we went in on uh, Monday of last week, right? Mm-hmm. So we went in as a family. Uh, my sister came up with her fiancé, and we all went to the Met together. Ooh, and, uh, fancy schmancy. Yeah. yeah. So the Met in particular is interesting, um, and then we're... You know, sitting there, and as you're driving through Manhattan, and you see the Upper West Side, kind of all brings back together the theme we've been talking about here the last three episodes. Uh, Tammany Hall. Have you ever heard of Tammany Hall? No. Okay. So uh, in episode one, we cover the humble beginnings. Yeah, right. Of, the humble beginnings of, of, of a building Hall. I've never heard of. Well, uh, well, not the building, but the – Oh, this is a yeah, person. No, no Tammany a, Hall is a well, – it turns out it ended up being a political machine, but uh, – from a, from the social club origin to a political machine that pretty much ran New York City for what eighty years, ninety years, uh, pretty much. So like every part of when you're in the Met, you realize that uh, that land was set aside and the building was uh, you know kind of the construction started. It's pretty much all done by Tammany Hall. So political corruption gave us the Met and the Upper West Side. Okay. Right? Now here's how this gets crazy. So. Tammany Hall was named after this secret society of uh, sorts. It was uh, more like a gentleman's club. club. It wasn't secret yeah. so much, but as a social club. So they were the Sons of St. Tammany. That's what they started at. Now, they were named after Tammany coming from Tamanend, who was a, a kind of a guy who was referred to as the patron saint of America. Okay, He was a Native American who was really good on the uh, you know, trading and working with the, uh, the settlers in Pennsylvania. Okay. Specifically, a guy named William Penn. Who, you might have heard of him yeah. from Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. That's the start of this uh, Sons of St. Tammany thing. Now, Aaron Burr, who you were our uh, sound engineer for that episode, I believe, um, he used Tammany Hall as a political machine in order to uh, try to you know, increase his power over his feud with Alexander Hamilton. All right. So Burr takes this organization that already exists, turns it into a political animal. 
All right. Okay. They're feuding with all the uh, the high society people uh, in New York. I mean, they're a powerhouse to be you know not to be messed around with. If you wanted shit done, you had to get Tammany Hall to agree with you. So now even cooler is uh, the last episode, the uh, the the end of the first episode. We talked about literally what was the New York City police riots. So you had a municipal police department that was founded that was so corrupt underneath Tammany Hall's mayor, uh, this guy Fernando Wood. Okay. He was so corrupt with the police department that they formed the Metropolitan Police Department. Yeah, the state, the state legislature decided we got to do something about this so that the existing city police department has to go. Oh, so the and city cops bring, suck so bad we got to make another set of cops. Not that they suck so bad, but they were just so corrupt that oh, we, just, we have to have something to offset the uh, offset that. So now you have dueling. Oh, okay. You have dueling police departments. So like we were saying to Ming is that uh, if if I'm from the municipal police and I arrest Big Kahuna, my father from the Metropolitan Police would come over and release the Big Kahuna. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Thanks, so, Be on your way. But don't, <laughs> forget, but don't forget to work and to uh, vote for our political platform. So okay. Now, now, here's how crazy this shit gets. The two of them wind up, the two organizations wind up fighting on the streets of City Hall. And there's a giant riot. There's a gang violence. All the gangs in New York stuff is going on around this time. And it all leads to... I was um, just about to ask that, too. <laughs> yeah. It all leads up to one of the characters from Gangs in New York, Boss Tweed, is featured in that movie. And uh, Boss Tweed was the second episode for our Tammany Hall one. He was unbelievable, the amount of corruption. When we said the developing of the Upper West Side, uh, this is what I meant by that. This is fucking batshit to me. I was literally thinking about it as we're on the West Side Highway. Hmm. I mean, just unreal. You're like, you crazy bastard. <laughs> Wait till you hear this. This is the greatest scam you ever heard. He goes and uh, buys a bunch of land on the Upper West Side that was undeveloped at the time, like areas like Harlem and stuff like that. Okay. Buys a bunch of land up there, but nobody wants to live there because there's no city resources. So he then directs all of the city resources to get you know, running water up there to start working with uh, – you know, get amenities, everything you could possibly want in order to develop that area. But the people that he's making do that are from the various boards in the city that he's on. So he's controlling where the resources are going. He is then paying his contractors, who have to pay him a, uh, a tax, like a fifteen percent kickback, with city with city dollars. with city money. So he's making money on making money, and the thing that he's making the money on making money with is real estate that's being developed for him that he can then sell once the jobs are complete. So now you have developed properties that he's can sell at an even higher profit. Whoa. And it didn't cost him anything to develop those properties because it was all on taxpayers' dollars. So it is holy crap, balls to the wall stuff here. And they were—I um, mean, they were legendary. The the people were printing in the papers all the time. There's a very famous political cartoon uh, that shows uh, who stole the people's money, and it was every member of Tammany Hall pointing to the guy next to him. So we now got. Um, I mean, this is the, the height of their power uh, at the time is uh, under Boss Tweed. Boss Tweed eventually uh, gets caught. They figure out what to do with him. All right. So they get him on a bunch of political corruption charges, all sorts of other stuff. And he winds up dying in jail. All right. So the uh, the struck that's where we're joining in for part three of this story here, because originally this was just going to be an episode on Boss Tweed. We were just going to do one off American loser Boss Tweed. Boss Tweed. But, but you can't tell his story when you go to the <laughs> without uncovering right. this. Oh man, and the Star Wars trilogy of uh, 
the beginnings you of the middle You can't talk about Anakin without talking about the Clone Wars. <laughs> excellent, <laughs> excellent reference. Um, now, my favorite part of this is that we do have the kahuna back here, so we brought you up to speed here. And if you're listening at home, uh, we're not going to recap any more on this stuff. I promise we're going to get all new information out here for you. Uh, but the joy of some of the weird shit that we found, uh, I can't wait to see the Christmas morning childlike innocent expression on Kahuna's face <laughs> when we ruin some shit with what oh, we're about to no. talk about. <laughs> oh, this is going to be good. So uh, that being said here, guys, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, this is American Loser Part 3, Tammany Hall. All right. So uh, following the arrest and the death of Boss Tweed, who died in jail, by the way, uh, he had worked out a deal, Kahuna, just so you know, Okay. Um, that he said, I'll give you all the information you could possibly want on how I ran my corrupt uh, you know, political ring. And he said, uh, "Just you got to promise to let me out of jail." And the guy goes, "Okay, tell me everything." Tells him everything, and then Samuel J. Tilden, the governor of New York, decides, "Nah, I'm not going to let you out." Yeah, nah. screw you. So. Wow, you never give up your leverage first. That's right. You do somewhat of the deal, like let him out for a week, and then be yeah, like, right. "Okay, fine. Here's your info." It's give like the, the, and then disappear. It's the opposite of uh, the shield for on FX. Yeah. He waited to the absolute end to, to make his moves. Um, now, following the arrest and the, the death of Boss Tweed, Tammany found that their power was at risk. So uh, what do you have when you when, when you got a bad reputation? What do you need? You need a, a, a new song. guy and a shining, uh, knight in shining armor to come in and uh, save the day. Exactly. And a good song. So you need a makeover, is what we're saying. So if you're the most corrupt political machine in New York City, uh, like Tammany was, they knew what they needed to do. Call like, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Very close. <laughs> they might as well have because they get this. So you go from Boss Tweed, who is a caricature in the papers. Move that cart. <laughs> and uh, what they wind up going for is they get this guy. You're going to lose your shit on this one. So you go from Crooked Boss Tweed okay. to Honest John Kelly. That's his handle. <laughs> Honest John. Let's Honest bring John. in Honest, Honest John. John Kelly. So. I don't remember that subway stop. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Kelly had formerly been elected the sheriff early on in his political career and was uh, highly popular among his constituents of Irish Catholics uh, whom had began to co-opt Tammany Hall uh, as a social club into kind of their own thing. So that was the, the Irish Catholic uh, immigrant voice in America was coming in – specifically in New York City was coming out of Tammany Hall. So uh, Kelly left America for an extended vacation following the death of his wife and child, leaving him unscathed by the Tweed Ring conspiracies. So not that he wasn't involved with Tammany Hall. He just wasn't here when he the just shit was hitting the yeah, fan. Right, right. Okay. When Boss Tweed was really being nailed to the wall, uh, he happened to be out of town. So, Which was uh, – it set him up he perfectly. He dodged that bullet. Oh, it was genius now. So uh, Samuel J. Tilden, the governor of New York, who had locked up Boss Tweed – uh, approved of Honest John Kelly's rise to power, thinking of him as a chance to be a reformer. Uh, he wasn't a tweed kind of guy, and he had uh, remarried into a good family. You want to talk about marrying into a good family? Yeah, how's this one? All right. Honest John Kelly happens to marry into the family of Bishop John McCluskey. All right, He was the Archbishop of New York City, also the first American cardinal. Yeah, so okay. he's he's got his wife at least has pedigree. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is back when the cardinals She's got were. Uh, yeah, the cardinals were still considered a classy organization at this point. They weren't tainted by the Mark McGuire steroid scandal yet. Oh, so, so yeah, snuck that one in there. Different cardinal. <laughs> um, Kelly cleared the hall of any Tweed holdouts and broke the idea of Tweed's circle because uh, 
the way that Tweed was running the organization was kind of like the Sopranos, like we said. So oh, now wow. imagine, uh, imagine Tony has uh, Silvio, Dante, uh, Paulie, and Christopher all whacked, and it's just him in charge running everything. That's pretty much what we're seeing here. So uh, gives himself the position is known as the Grand Sachem, okay, which is a Native American word we covered on the earlier episodes. Uh, now he has more power than previously was enjoyed by even Boss Tweed. Uh, under Kelly's leadership, the hall was quickly back to business. So right after the worst possible shit that could have gone wrong for them in terms of getting busted and the corruption is on the you know every newspaper and literally the higher-ups in New York City, the powerful millionaires and billionaires are coming together to smash the hall. Within two years, he's got him back up and running again. So um, Kelly became the city comptroller, all right, a position that was formerly held under the Tweed ring by uh, Slippery Dick Connolly. <laughs> yeah, that was his handle. <laughs> Slippery Dick is one of the few guys that got away from the Tweed you want, ring. You want, we, you got, we got Honest, the Cardinal, and then Slippery Dick. Okay. <laughs> right, right. Well, the I, Cardinal, I, is, Cardinal is just to give him uh, credibility. We need credibility. one more, and then we got a great right. sitcom. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. But how would you like to have your money uh, overse- overseen by a guy with the handle of Slippery Dick Connolly? <laughs> it's uh, yeah. There's uh, there's moves to be made on that one. Or that, would you rather go with Honest John? So there we go. Well, in in researching what Slippery nice Dick Peter? Connolly, uh, you could not um, you, you couldn't trust a blind Google search on that one. You had to say <laughs> historical right. figure. Right. Oh God. But uh, he was shockingly diligent, uh, Honest John Kelly, as the city comptroller. Uh, Kelly was able to lower the municipal debt by $12 million over a five-year period. Uh, now, it sounds like he's a pretty good guy, right? Married into the bishop's family. Sounds. He's not a bad guy per se, all right? He's not – but the problem is with Tammany Hall, you grade everybody on a curve, <laughs> right? So right. So uh, he's like Roscoe P. Coltrane to Boss Hogg. Has very it. close. Because uh, what winds up happening here is that um, – even though he is lowering the municipal debt and he's not really as plagued with scandal as uh, his predecessors, he still manages to amass a uh, large personal fortune running the hall as well. Oh, that's why he's controlling it. He can, he can figure out where to uh, divert. About eight, they estimated it was, uh, he had a fortune of about $800,000, which for the day was uh, a sizable sum. But uh, 1886 proved to be a pivotal year for the Tammany Hall boys as they uh, faced off with the newly formed United Labor Party. All right. And a uh, labor party was interesting here because they were made popular by the uh, political economist Henry George as uh, they made him their figurehead. George was an anti-monopolist who believed in uh, the resources of the world belonging to everyone equally and many other ideas that became known as, quote, Georgisms, which uh, I don't know, LP. That sounds like commie bullshit to me. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a little pinko there on that one. <laughs> but uh, Tammany felt threatened by the labor party and George's appeal. Because it undermined their grip on the working class. Because the whole time, Kahuna, that they're doing this, they're trying to say that Tammany Hall, oh, we're the friend of the immigrant, we're the friend of the working man. You know, we're here with you guys down in the trenches. We're not like those billionaires up there in Manhattan. You know, blah blah. blah. So uh, they're sitting there, and uh, now they're threatened because this Labor Party's coming in here and taking some of their, you know, the working class voters, some of their constituents. Yeah, indeed. So. Uh, what would become uh, an embarrassing recurring pattern here. Um, Tammany would shoot itself in the foot by overplaying its hand. Um, when you see some mastermind stuff, that's genius. But then you see guys trying to play you know, four-dimensional chess or whatever, and it blows up in their face. Pretty outstanding on this one. They offer uh, George, Henry George, who's going to run as the Labor Party's uh, um, candidate for candidate, mayor. Right. Um, 
they offered George, who was hesitant to run for mayor in the first place, didn't really want the job. They promised him a seat in Congress if he would agree not to run and uh, split the working votes. And uh, this actually pissed George off. And he goes, oh, fuck, I wasn't going to run, but now you guys are such dicks, I'm running. Right. <laughs> All right? right up front, you're offering a little corrupt uh, side deal. Ex- exactly. Right. right. So, you know, uh, that's when he realized, he goes, maybe there is a problem with corruption. <laughs> I, just, I just got promised a seat in Congress if I didn't run for mayor. I don't right. Know. So these guys are controlling Congress. It's not just beyond this city. or it's Can you much imagine that conversation? Beyond. Like, yeah. listen, if you don't run for mayor, yeah. you have a spot. Like, whoa. You then realize who actually has the power. Well, it's uh, one of the things we were talking about, sword. too. It's, uh, it's powerful to run for mayor, but it's true power to run somebody for mayor. Right. You can you can name your candidate. You can name your ma- you can name the mayor. You don't have to run for mayor. You can name the mayor. That's why Nucky Thompson ran everything in Boardwalk Empire. But he ne- I think he was the treasurer of Atlantic right. City. Was his only title. Everyone loves Again, the Muppets, but no one knows about the puppeteers. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good fucking analogy. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of puppeteers, Honest John, who uh, has retired from uh, public life here. Uh, and is enjoying his fortune. He is remembered rather fondly, by the way, in the Dropkick Murphys song, uh, Boys on the Docks. All right, So they, uh, they talk a lot about uh, Honest John Kelly in that one and the appeal he had for Irish Catholics. But uh, his hand-picked accessor, Richard Croker, Dick Croker, <laughs> yeah. Richard Dick Croker, <laughs> was now in charge of Tammany Hall. And Croker knew that in order to keep power from the labor votes that he was going to lose, Tammany needed to help uh, to kind of align themselves with the rest of the Democrats, which were known as uh, the Swallowtails. Yeah, now the Swallowtails were really kind of the, a, a class uh, division here, that the Swallowtails were more of the rich guys. But, you know, they're also looking to control things and line their pockets. So. Well, there's a nativist vibe with them as well because right. you, you, they don't want to – you know, these are the, the – I guess what you would call uh, the Democratic Party at the time um, that wasn't all about the uh, – feeding uh, hot soup for the Irish right. upon they, arrival kind of thing. They didn't really give a shit about the unwashed masses. They were more, uh, more involved with lining their own pockets. Well, uh, now the worst part is is that the Swallowtails are headed up by Samuel J. Tilden, who uh, is one of the guys that brought down the Tweed Ring and is a complete enemy of Tammany Hall. So you're literally breaking bread with your enemy who's technically on the same side as you voting-wise. Right. So like, oh, well, we absolutely hate this uh, you know, member of the Democrats, but he's on our team still. Right. So he's it's still a, a Democrat. It's a locker room beef. Right. That's right. <laughs> there you go. Um, but uh, power will make strange bedfellows, as we found. And uh, Croker extends an olive branch to the Swallowtails by nominating the head of the Swallowtails, Abram Hewitt, for mayor. Now, uh, Hewitt was a great candidate. He was well-respected. He had a famous father-in-law in Peter Cooper. Dad, who is Peter Cooper? Peter Cooper was uh, an earlier big-time big money man. Uh, like Peter, an early Rockefeller-type figure almost? No, even before that. and We're, we're going back even beyond that. Uh, wow. Peter Cooper initially made a lot of money in uh, steamships. I mean, moving goods and people um, by water was the— uh, the main way of going and uh, actually he s- set up a ferry boat service to Staten Island uh, and then made a lot of money on government um, oh wait he set it up or like he actually no, he, started he, he the ran, Staten Island right. Ferry he, well he started a, a number of different ferry services that went out to Staten Island and, and then during the war of 1812 
made a lot of money on government contracts by supplying the various forts and, and uh, positions that were defending uh, New York. Again, you got to remember what the time period here is that, you know, a, a naval attack by British forces in 1812 uh, coming up into New York was going to come by, by water. But anyhow, he made a lot of money. And then um, the, uh, the B&O, the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, uh, was started coming out of Baltimore and going into Ohio. He kind of saw an opportunity there and bought up a lot of property uh, out out in that section of the country, knowing that with the development of the railroad is going to skyrocket land prices. So he made a lot of money with that. And then he was also, Peter Cooper was also involved with um, the first um, uh, railroad locomotive, the, the Tom Thumb. That was one of his inventions. He, uh, he was a very smart guy, made a lot, a lot of money, uh, pretty much a pull him up by your bootstraps kind of a guy that, uh, you know, from, from rags to riches. Um, he also um, started a uh, successful glue factory, um, also set up um, with his son, Edward, and his now son-in-law, Abram S. Hewitt, which Kevin just mentioned is now a mayoral a candidate, um, set up a uh, uh, an iron mill in our own beloved shout out to New Jersey, Trenton, New Jersey, on the Delaware River. Uh, and he's making uh, a lot of raw materials for the because the next big thing after the steamships was the railroad. I mean, that was the next mode of transportation. So that was like the like the big next revolution right, step. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, they have a, a Jersey reference in the Trenton thing that uh, it's all coming. But here's a, a Jersey reference we weren't quite ready for on this one. And every episode of uh, the Tammy one has had a Jersey reference. And not to be outdone here, Abram Hewitt, who the Swallowtails uh, were the head of the Swallowtails, the Tammany now nominated for mayor, the son-in-law of uh, of Peter of, Cooper, of who, Peter who we're going to get back right. to because there's another interesting thing about. So I mean, Cooper. Hewitt I'm definitely call him glue sniffer from here on out because. <laughs> uh, well, he was running that factory with his stepfather. Different kind of glue, but yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that too. <laughs> well, he is also uh, the namesake of Hewitt, New Jersey. It is named after Abram Hewitt. Get so, the hell out so of here. So there's your first one. Absolutely. What else you got on Cooper, LP? Uh, Cooper um, also owned a number of patents for his inventions, including uh, some, of, some for the manufacture of gelatin. Now, gelatin had been used for, I mean, hundreds of years, but he was able to refine it and package it so that it became very easy to create. He develops these various standards for the production of this gelatin product, and he then later sold the patents to a cough syrup manufacturer in upstate New, uh, upstate New York who developed the prepackaged form of gelatin from which his, this guy's wife named, you ready, J.E. L O O Jello, that uh, Jello wow. brand gelatin was really uh, from a patent that uh, Peter Cooper had uh, designed or refined from from back in the day. Also, oh, Peter Cooper refined. Pe- those. Peter Cooper, right, working with you know his son Edward and Abram and everybody else, but uh, Peter Cooper was the guy that. Um, was able to refine uh, gelatin to a pre-mix kind of a thing, a, you know, a, a package easily sold. Uh, and then this other guy. Honey, get it. in here. My buddies at the glue factory made something. You got to try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's delicious. Yeah, well, the guy that he sold the patent to w- was able to figure out how to put various flavorings and that kind of stuff into it. So I mean, now, now, it you makes, got your strawberry now things make sense now. Oh, so it would make sense now that Jello comes from glue sniffers. Okay. <laughs> 
like you wonder like who made this shit <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't think we were going to have time uh, to squeeze in that uh, the Peter Cooper reference for the whole uh, gelatin thing but uh, as my father pointed out uh, there's always room for jello there's always room for jello and hey who doesn't like jello shots right <laughs> oh <laughs> Uh, back onto uh, the tracks here, as it were. A little, little railroad humor for you. <laughs> there you go. Um, so now to counter uh, what the Democrats are running with uh, Abram Hewitt and the Labor Party is running uh, our friend uh, Henry George, who's a wildly popular economist. Um, his book, uh, I believe it was Progress on the Poor or something like that. Uh, very, very popular book for the Times. And he is still studied to this day in economy classes, Mr. Henry George. So he's running for labor. That's going to split that labor vote right there. They're nervous about him. But you have a unified front with the Democrats because now the Swallowtails and Tammany Hall are coming together. So now the Republicans got to figure out who they're going to run. So you got a very popular guy with George, popular guy with Abram Hewitt. So the Republicans decide to run a fella by the name of Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt. <laughs> oh. Old Theodore. Oh, boy. But uh, So shit just got real? Yeah. Well, a recurring theme in life for me, the more we study American history, is don't fuck with T.R. <laughs> yeah. man badass to the bone. Well, it, we physically can't do an episode of American Loser about him because everything that he – even if he doesn't win, he makes sure his opponents don't win either. So he's kind of a genius that way. Then we have to do just one spinoff episode just called American Badass. <laughs> and it's, instead of – we just there literally cross out That's the right. word loser. He is, uh, he is good that way too, man. But uh, – not in this uh, instance here. He does not win this election. Tammany gets its wish, and Croker's move worked. Hewitt is elected mayor, and the Labor Party never really comes into power as they had once threatened. So it was this – It was they were very threatening, but they never actually pulled anything off. It's kind of like uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, all right? That had, <laughs> had one year, everybody's like, ah, oh, Super Bowl or bust, right? And then they're three yeah, and seven. It's more than bust. <laughs> so, um, but the uh, Labor Party's kind of on the – they never really came into fruition, if you will. And the New York Republicans kind of also seem to be on the decline. Well, at least power. within the city. Within the city. I'm saying the New York Republicans right. too for uh, that. So now um, Tammany's – that stranglehold that they have on the city is uh, is getting tighter and tighter. Croker was an intelligent leader for Tammany. And what he decided to do is that he took a look at what was appealing about how Labor ran their crew. Because labor had fun parties, man. Because if you have fun parties, then people are going to want to be around you. And then you can get more people to agree with you when it comes time for uh, stuff in the ballot box, as it were. But um, they would have street meetings. So all like a lot of that imagery of like uh, you know the, uh, the socialist-type people standing out there, you know, uh, the iron fist speeches out in the streets and everything, or uh, a crowded saloon getting turned into a, oh, uh, one free drink for everybody who's willing to vote labor kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff uh, Tammany adopted and kind of picked up on. And um, that's how effective they were too, just a complete offshoot here. And then we're back on topic is uh, those types of speeches were going on uh, all over the country too. So the, a saloon-style speech was very, very popular. Literally, Hitler had something known as the uh, the beer hall pooch, which is another fucking thing with all that stuff. But as we were saying, uh, Croker's an intelligent leader, and what he does is um, he kind of blends all those ideas here. But what happens is that the uh, the Tammany boys, more important than anything else, they finally seem legit too. So they're back in power, and now this time they don't have all the dirt from Boss Tweed, right? So. The fact that they seem legit in the eyes of the public, they were kind of left alone by the papers. So they're, now they're getting away with all the shit that you know, all the dirty stuff still yeah, going on here. Reporting on them. Yeah, but they just have anybody fucking because Boss Tweed didn't give a shit. He would ride his horse to his mansion. You know what I mean? He didn't give a fuck about anything. But uh, turns out, uh, so things are pretty good here, right? 
you know, they're kind of living a, a more humble life. They're not being as ostentatious as uh, the, the Tweed era was. Uh, but it turns out Hewitt was a garbage mayor. All right, the namesake of Hewitt, New Jersey, garbage mayor because he was firmly nativist, which meant that the immigrants hated him. And then uh, he also proved himself inept as a leader. Croker was now unwilling to play ball in the next go-around for this. He goes, I'm not dealing with this shit again. He goes, I tried bringing the swallowtails in on this, and you guys fucked me. So now I'm doing my own thing. Why did we get a town named after the shitty mayor? That's Staten Island's job. It's a- <laughs> <laughs> uh, you said he was a garbage mayor. Like, come on. Garbage mayor, garbage island. <laughs> hey, we can't talk shit about Staten Island. We have uh, we have sixteen listeners in Staten Island. <laughs> but, um, no, Kahuna patent just patenting apology. <laughs> so what they do is that uh, Croker now uh, decides he goes. I'm not gonna. I tried playing ball. Now I don't have to. Nominates Hugh J. Grant, a Tammany man, through and through. By the way, Hugh Grant, fresh off the success of Bridget Jones' Diary. Good for um, him. <laughs> they run him for mayor in 1888. Hughes wins the election, and New York City now has its first New York-born Irish Catholic American mayor. Huge. Hugh Grant. Huge. This is the first Irish Catholic mayor pretty much in any city in uh, America. That, And so, certainly nothing uh, you know, the size of uh, New York City. So, Well, and this is in 1888, too, so keep in mind that you're now going to have to go about 80 more years until uh, you have an Irish Catholic president, the right. first ever in JFK. Um, Grant allowed Croker full control of the city. Hey, thanks for the election, man. Appreciate the job. You guys do whatever you want. All right. So Croker's right. now effectively running the city. And the first thing he does is sets up a patronage system that's even greater than Boss Tweeds. Yeah, Grant at this time is really just a figurehead. I mean, he's the puppet and, and Croker is the puppeteer. So, Just imagine that, though, is that all you have to do – it's like when, uh, when you had um, – like with the mafia wars and stuff, which I know we talk about towards the end here. But uh, the larger-than-life mobsters, they always wind up getting brought down. And then we just pretend like, oh, thank God we defeated the mob, right? That shit's still around. That's They're just quiet. That's right. All right, but um, they're just, just quietly influential. That's lesson. why they're even more terrified now. Well, that's what uh, what Tammany's doing at this point here too, which is cool because uh, what's happening with them is that Croker is so corrupt with the allocations of resources, services, and utilities that they literally implemented what was known as a one stop shop. <laughs> okay, so that means uh, Kahuna, you need. You need the city to provide a service for you in some way, shape, or form. You have to pay your taxes so that they pick up your garbage, so that uh, you can get running water into your place, that your uh, building that you live in is getting worked on. So literally, rather than pay all those different separate bills, Tammany Hall is so corrupt, you just go to Tammany Hall and pay them directly, and they pay everybody else for you. It makes it easier for you because rather than sending 10 envelopes with $100 each in it, now you can just stop off at Tammany Hall and uh, put a $1,000 bill in one envelope. Fuck you, pay me. <laughs> so uh, now they are so corrupt with that stuff. That they've, they've set up these one-stop shops. It's kind of nuts there. Uh, but they, it, it's effective. It's working. People are relatively happy. And Tammany is allowed to run the city as long as the millionaires and billionaires uh, aren't affected by that. So this whole uh, new group in here. The election of Grant kind of effectively ended the power of the Swallowtails too. So now you not only have the first Irish uh, Catholic New York-born American uh, mayor – you now also have the Swallowtails, Tilden's boys, who literally locked up only 20 – no, it was 30-something years earlier, locked up Boss Tweed. Uh, now Tilden's people, that, that whole party is no longer even effective within the Democratic Party. So they go ahead and they got rid of him. They smothered uh, Hewitt with that stuff. Uh, but Croker was a genius because he walked a fine line politically. If you want to make shit happen, you got to you know, 
take some risks and everything like that, but you also have to you know remain popular. Okay. So he was able to blend uh, the labor populism with the old Tammany tenants of old that were uh, you know advocating immigrant causes, uh, but he also ensured low taxes and remained pro business. This is a moderate dude right here. Right, right, absolutely. So. He 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 was able to walk that fine line of keeping the uh, the big money people, the natives that were you know prime keeping everybody the happy, tales, but also taking care of the poor working class at the same time. So he's uh, as long as big business can continue on, they're happy, and now the working class are also. Getting reaping some of the benefits, if you will. It's kind of like uh, with <laughs> politics. Sometimes you'll see that uh, some of the people that are most successful are uh, a liberal-leaning conservative uh, is going to be popular as well as a conservative-leaning liberal. That when you can kind of bridge the gap and meet in the middle there, that's technically where majority of the country is, I believe. But uh, that being said, it is now 1894, and Tammany has its firmest stranglehold in the city of New York more so than ever before. Bigger than Tweed, just quiet. So money and power are abundant around this time. There's no dirt on the money either. That is until a troublesome reverend from Boston arrives. Now, this guy, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because when we're doing an episode about uh, a non-person, uh, the people that enter in and out, it's almost like they should have a theme music. <laughs> so uh, Reverend Charles Henry Parkhurst was a Presbyterian minister who would constantly preach against the evils of Tammany Hall from his own pulpit during church. All right, he even went so far as to get permission to go undercover with a private investigator and another friend to root out corruption that he found in the New York City Police Department. Um, one of the things that – I don't know if you know this. Most ministers are against prostitution. All right? <laughs> At least up front. So, uh, yeah. Now, when you realize that prostitution is being uh, extorted, embezzled, uh, and also effectively run by the New York City Police Department, old Reverend Parkhurst had some problems with that. Uh, but he was able to get enough evidence, uh, and it was so paramount that it spurred the creation of what was known as the Lexo Committee. Okay, L-E-X-O-W. Sounds like a fucking printer. Um, <laughs> That's right. In the fact that he was able to prove all the corruption that they had here, pretty much everything that Tammany had to offer, he was able to dig up dirt on. Um, and in return, yet another committee of 70. The first time they formed a committee of 70 was to take down Boss Tweed. Um, this committee of 70 now includes uh, – New York icons like uh, the very aggrieved Abram Hewitt that we talked about. Right. The also, guy that they just ran out of town. So uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt, who I think he profited a little bit yeah, off of Peter Cooper's steam locomotive. He's got a few books. <laughs> and uh, our good old friend, Mr. J.P. Morgan. Dad, uh, who the fuck are these guys? Uh, well, all of those guys, Cornelius Vanderbilt, uh, J.P. Morgan. They're actually uh, New York City guys that are also huge dollar guys uh, from way back when. They would be considered more the natives that they were not uh, so much pro-labor or the, the working class stuff, but uh, certainly big business. The, the, you know, they're listed as uh, the robber barons, if you will, of, uh, of the time that uh, it's all about making money. And all of these guys were just unbelievable. Cornelius of Vanderbilt um, was a big uh, – uh, as I say, a big money guy, a big railroad guy. Um, he got into it with um, Tammany Hall, uh, even back in the Boss Tweed days, and, and even prior to that. Trying because again, now the railroads are the the next big um, technology that we're getting away from steamships and water uh, water travel, and now the railroad is going to uh, supersede that. Vanderbilt is trying to buy up the various railroads. He gets into it with some of the Tammany Hall people. Um, so he's coming into this 
committee of 70 with, uh, you know, not a, a fresh slate. He's got some he's got some background. Cornelius Vanderbilt was also very involved with uh, the city of New York that uh, some of us uh, might have heard of uh, Grand Central Depot that later would become Grand Central Station. Well, it was uh, Mr. Cornelius Vanderbilt who financed uh, the money behind that after he's buying up all of these railroads. There was needed to be a terminus within New York City itself where they could jump from one railroad line to the other. So Jesus it, it started out as uh, wow. Grand Central Depot and then later became uh, Grand Central Station. Um, you know, J.P. Morgan, uh, big finance, big money guy. Um, and, of course, uh, Abram, J.P. Morgan, again, he is now part of this committee of 70 to investigate Tammany Hall, but at the same time, he was involved with Tammany Hall because he's the he's the bank behind Tammany Hall. So as Tammany Hall was running the, the city of New York into debt, who are they borrowing the money from to pay their bills? Well, they're borrowing the money from Morgan's bank. So, <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of collusion, if you will, going on with all of these J.P. Morgan, another guy that could never possibly be an episode of this show it's just <laughs> yeah just too all many. of those robert barons were each and among themselves are uh, you know american losers but also i don't big, think they're big been, winners financially but. i don't think there have been movie versions of podcasts yet that would be like the feature film of american <laughs> losers yeah. there you go and oh, of course, uh, Abram Hewitt. We already spoke about him. Uh, he, you know, his father-in-law is is Cooper Union, uh, Peter Cooper. Um, and um, by the way, Peter Cooper, although he was a big money guy, he did, uh, in later in life, um, start to put a whole lot of money back to the people, if you will. Um, you might have heard of Cooper Union, the uh, the college, the university uh, that was founded by by Peter Cooper. Uh, it was one of the first institutions of higher learning for technology and the, and the development of the uh, engineering and uh, that became tuition free. That um, you know, very selective as to who they would allow into Cooper Union. Um, you know, to fast forward that that Cooper Union is still going on today, and for the longest while, I think up until like uh, 2013 or so, they were uh, tuition free, um, all financed by. You know, the, the funds that were left by Mr. Peter Cooper. Well, you need smart people to invent shit for them to then profit Make off Make money, of. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, for a short term there, uh, Cooper Union went um, to um, not totally tuition-free, but now uh, from what I've just uh, come to find out that most recently with the latest New York legislation about um, tuition-free college, they're back to uh, a tuition-free um, situation. So, yeah, that, you know, they're – their beginnings, if you will, are going right back to this time period of, uh, you know, the, so you're the telling me, uh, sphere of influence. So you're telling me Vanderbilt, Morgan, and Hewitt, a couple of big swinging dicks in the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and have already had uh, prior um, dealings with Tammany Hall. So Now, we're in an interesting time because Tammany Hall runs so much shit, and they, they say that they're the aggrieved working man's class and the, we're the, the friend they of the immigrant. They say they're for the people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they say all that. But now, literally, it's it's so corrupt that the only people that are able to fight them are actually the billionaires. So that top one percent, you almost have a Batman thing going on here, where Bruce Wayne, <laughs> Bruce Wayne's the millionaire playboy, but he's actually able to handle he's the fighting crime. evil. Yeah, so yeah. you almost have yeah. a little bit of vibe. But instead, they don't do it like they're they're not going to go beat the shit out of the Joker. Instead, what they do is that uh, 
our pals um, you know, Morgan and uh, Vanderbilt and Hewitt, they threatened Tammany's candidate for governor, who they were originally going to run. Uh, the guy's name was Nathan Strauss. They threatened him with ostracization from New York City society. You won't be able to get a dinner. Uh, you won't be able to get a table at any of the fine restaurants. Right. Uh, we're not going to invite you to our awesome, you know, prostitution parties or whatever else they were doing. <laughs> right. um, you know, yeah, you, it, it, but you will be blacklisted effectively. Right. We're not going to talk to you anymore. But all of these guys weren't really so much working for the uh, for the betterment of the city and to put down Tammany Hall. They were really for the betterment of their own financial gains and come back into control and, and we'd control away from Tammany Hall and put it back into their Well, power's the house. ultimate drug, yeah, too. That's the, so now the funny thing about Mr. Nathan Strauss, who they all decide they're going to say, we're going to blacklist you um, if you run for governor, like Tammany's telling you to, he then decides not to run. He caves into the peer pressure and uh, returns to focusing on the company he was the co-owner of, Macy's. Yeah, as uh, in Macy's Day Parade. So, Kahuna, when you watch the Macy's <laughs> Day Parade, you are in effect. I'm going to think about Tammany Hall. The ghosts <laughs> of Tammany Hall are right. on parade there Jeez. underneath a giant Snoopy. It's really funny that you mentioned Batman, the, that Batman reference you made earlier, because there is actually a one. I I sorry to go on off of this, but it relates to it. There's actually a one-off Batman comic that takes place during like this time period called Gotham by Gaslight. And there's actually something in there that's kind of like Tammany Hall, not in that story, but in like the set, in the city of Gotham, is something called the Court of Owls. It's kind of similar to. I'm gonna have to okay. throw that at Google here later. It's, it's, yeah. it's a yeah. little similar, and I was just like, oh wow, that would make a badass Batman story, actually. Well, instead uh, of doing badass stuff, they just use peer pressure to get this guy not to run. Yeah. Oh god! Um, but the uh, and uh, Kev, Mr. Nathan Strauss, uh, although he was the co-owner of Macy's, and we can, you know, look for references uh, at the Macy's Day Parade. He was also uh, Strauss, as in Abraham and Strauss. So another uh, big uh, retail outlet that uh, what is happening? Had, had, had some noteworthy uh, beginnings. It's like if LL Bean was in the New World Order. Yeah, um, there you go. But uh, now the committee backed William Strong as mayor and Levi P. Morton as governor. Uh, both Republicans won in landslides, a decisive defeat for our boys in Tammany Hall. Uh, although it should be noted. That uh, while they were completely defeated, thanks to uh, Reverend uh, Parkhurst, okay, Parkhurst died in 1933. Here's another Jersey connection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, little wow. Reverend Parkhurst, who uh, pretty much was the the cause of all this investigation that removed Tammany from power, or at least diminished some of their power, um, died in Ventnor City, New Jersey, down near Atlantic City, in 1933, where he slept walked off his balcony. A lot of people sleepwalk off their balconies, especially in <laughs> in Ventnor City. Uh, it's like a, yeah. they might. It, you know what? The only way they could have made it any more obvious is if a suicide note was written in somebody else's handwriting. Right, right. I mean, it, this is embarrassing. Right. He slept walk head first off the balcony. <laughs> it's uh, one of my favorite uh, dumb lines from a uh, Loaded Weapon One. It was uh, they had a, a giant uh, crime scene where everybody was obviously a gang shooter, and he goes, "Huh." Another mass suicide. <laughs> um, so the end of the 1800s into the 1920s now, all right, has now shifted the effect that Tammany Hall could have on New York City. Uh, you're starting to get the emergence of other boroughs having their political machines, which is taking some small tolls on Tammany while also creating new opportunities for profit. There is a old uh, political cartoon that literally shows Tammany Hall shaking hands with the Brooklyn machine, the Brooklyn political machine, 
over the Hudson River. That it's because we also talked about how um, the bridge was brought in. Uh, well, not by over the Hudson River, but over the over the uh, water. Right? Indeed. So now, uh, cool shit with that. Um, yeah, by eighteen. Uh, I mean, in that same time period, New York City elections, and I believe it was eighteen ninety seven. Uh, we also see the incorporation of the city's outer boroughs. So it, we're, the, the net is being cast further and further, so we have greater opportunity of just not corruption within Manhattan, but now within the five boroughs as well. Which uh, only gets weirder as we go. Um, now, on the Democratic side, there are, you know all these political machines are forming in New York City and everything like that. But on the Republican side, they're starting to get uh, very popular with this new approach that they're coming in with where they're coming in as reformers. Um, real quick, Dad, what is a political reformer? Well, a political reformer is anybody that wants to make change, to reform. Or, you know, in, in religion, we would think of the, uh, the Reformation. They're, they're reformists to the – to the current religious beliefs, if you will, or ways of doing it. Anything, anybody that's going to bring about a change could be called a reformer. And a political reformer is just going to try to reform the way the political operations are, are on, on a day-to-day basis. Everybody's corrupt as shit, so you're going to come in there and say, well, hey, I'm not corrupt as shit. Right. That's kind of the right. move here. So who's the guy? Well, uh, the reformer uh, populism is coming from the top of the ladder. All right, It's not emerging in New York City by itself. The top of the ladder uh, under a reformer president known as Theodore motherfucking Roosevelt. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Teddy's at it again. Back to TR real quick. But, uh, Dad, uh, fun- I know there's a funny story, and it slightly involves the New York City bosses. Uh, how did TR wind up becoming the uh, president of the United States? Uh, well, TR, um, with the president of the United States, uh, he was involved with uh, New York City politics. And New York politics as well. Well, he was governor of New York. He was he was governor of New York. He was also a um, uh, state legislature for three years. So he was he served three terms in the New York Assembly. Now that was a one year term, um, but when he uh, initially came out of uh, college, he went back to New York City and um, got involved with politics. Uh, as I said, he is a Harvard grad. Um, he. Um, starts to try to make some changes within the city of New York, um, specifically the the police department, um, became known as a you know an ass kicker and really but a, a pretty much a pain in the ass kind of a guy. With one of the one of the things that Teddy might be faulted for as to why he didn't have the success in New York City and cleaning up the corruption that he did at the time he was an assemblyman was that. Teddy had no black or white. I mean, if it's if it's illegal to drink on Sunday, it's illegal to drink on Sunday. And he tried to enforce that shit, and uh, that, that didn't make him a real popular guy. That uh, you know, if, if, if Sunday's my only day off and I can't sit, go down to the pub or to the saloon and have a have a brewski, uh, there's there's going to be a problem here with this guy. Um, but he was uh, he was an absolute um, ass kicker that he'd be going out on night patrol to make sure that the cops are out on patrol like they're supposed to be, and you know he just he was in everybody's face, he was in everybody's business, he was not a uh, a bureaucrat sitting behind a desk and directing. He was actually well, taking charge. There's a little bit of a strong man thing with him shit. too. Yeah. Well, people like seeing that sometimes because especially when you have so much corruption, you're like, well, this guy I have to pay all this money to and all he does is hang out in his mansion all day. And you got Teddy Roosevelt who's actually out there boots on the ground doing shit. Right. Now, uh, Roosevelt was so annoying for these guys 
that one of the political maneuvers that they made was to have him put in as the vice president on McKinley's ticket. So President McKinley was running and uh, his uh, VP was stepping down. So they go ahead and they throw Teddy Roosevelt up there. Roosevelt doesn't really want the job because it's relatively powerless. Right. right? But he gets convinced that he needs to do it in order to ensure uh, McKinley getting the election and everything. Yeah, well, McKinley was also backed by big money like J.P. J.P. Morgan, Morgan and Vanderbilt and, uh, and, and, and Rockefeller. Right. So, but uh, now the funny thing is that uh, they, they literally – the move is known as kicking him upstairs. So they're going to promote Teddy Roosevelt into a powerless position in D.C. as the vice president so that he can't fuck with what's going on in New York anymore. Great idea. <laughs> Well, because Teddy, right. Teddy annoyed Tammany Hall. Teddy also annoyed all the big business it's guys. The, it's the Peter principle. Elevate the guy up to an area where he's so inept or has no power that uh, you know he might have the title <laughs> of vice president. whoop de doo But what does the vice president really yield? Nothing. Well, that all of that. But, yeah. uh, but you said something earlier about Teddy because even though he might lose, he'll make sure that his other opponents lose. So what did he do? Well, to, uh, it's to not, fuck their day up. Not so much what he did; it's what happened. Uh, is that President McKinley, uh, who was a uh, the Ohio governor that was put in office literally by um, J.P. Morgan and Vanderbilt and Rockefeller, in order to make sure that William Jennings Bryan, who was a student of Henry George's politics, all right, the right. economist from earlier with the Labor Party, in order to keep that guy out of office, they ran a safer guy in McKinley that they kind of owned. And he said, oh, thank God. All right, now back to business, right? Fucking McKinley gets assassinated in office. And the vice president, Teddy Roosevelt, is now the president of the United States. Right. So literally the guy that you're like, man, he's pesky in New York, now runs the entire country. Right. Yeah, he's so, a pain in the ass, so let's elevate him to vice president. And it was in McKinley's second term that they actually put TR in uh, as vice president. Right, because his first VP at us. Uh, right. I believe so McKinley ran one term. Yes. He served one term with a different vice president. And then that what, guy he was not. Away? Yeah, he passed. So now they have to find somebody else. And at this point, Teddy was such a pain in the ass in New York that let's let's get him out of New York, but we'll elevate him to a national level and we'll make him vice president, thinking that you know that's a safe place to stash this guy and get him out of everybody's hair. And now you know McKinley, within his second term, shortly within his second term, McKinley is assassinated, and and TR is now elevated to be the the main don't the big guy fuck <laughs> with right. TR. Right. It's just everybody who tries in history, they all wind up losing, man. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, and then Teddy was also he, he's got he's got some uh, some background too because uh, you know at this particular point um, when he's running for as the vice president candidate, he had already served in McKinley's first term. Uh, he had already served as assistant secretary of the Navy. While he was in Harvard, he wrote um, a book about the, the history of naval warfare during the War of 1812. So now this automatically made him like an expert on uh, naval warfare. So they give him the, the position of assistant secretary of the Navy. Um, and uh, so he's, he's got that uh, on the national level. Uh, and, you know, he has now served um, within the Army with uh, – Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders, which was the the war with uh, Battle with of Spain. San Juan Hill, yeah, or Kettle Hill, San Juan Hill, whatever. But uh, uh, yeah, so I mean, there was uh, an invasion of Cuba against uh, the Spanish government to to liberate um, the Cubans from the uh, 
from the uh, from the Spanish and uh, Teddy's taken down whole countries and empires. Why right. do these Tammany fellas think they were any better? Right. I mean, he he is a, a <laughs> war hero. He's already got some background as Assistant Secretary of the Navy, and now he's Vice President. And now, by uh, circumstance of McKinley's assassination, he's now um, you know the President of the United States. Uh, so now he's the president. You got this progressive, reform-minded thing going on over here. Um, now cleaning up your image all around is probably the right move here, and Tammany does try this. They try to really clean up their image and strive for a little bit more legitimacy, uh, legitimacy under uh, Mr. Charles Murphy, who was uh, working as the Grand Sachem at the time. But uh, Tammany remained tainted the, as corrupt because – their reputation was worse than anything they could have possibly done. You know what I mean? They were just a garbage. They were a locker room cancer. They were. Uh, <laughs> That's right. They were. I mean, it's Owens. business as usual. I mean, it's, you're not going to change that from within. Yeah. So the um, the bad press only increased during Tammany's on again off again feud with a uh, newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst, who actually was. Uh, they talk about it a little bit in a, a film loosely based on Hearst's life. Uh, known as Citizen Kane, Orson Welles. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but uh, the Hearst feud ended. It didn't really – it wasn't as uh, prolific of a, of a feud as some of the other ones we've covered have been. Uh, it ends with uh, Hearst moving out to California and Tammany remaining prominent in power in Manhattan. So things are moving on. We're getting good here. You know, The city's continuing to grow. Uh, Tammany's still in power. It's not the only political machine in the five boroughs, but it is the most prominent one. Right. And it has the the Queen Borough, if you will. Not well, that's a, a weird thing to call it, uh, since there is. So you got Queens, Brooklyn, the Bronx, Staten Island, Manhattan. Right. All right. Manhattan's where the real estate is. Everybody knows did that. Did you say Bronx? I did. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you go ahead and uh, everything's good to go here for Tammany. It looks like they've. Uh, yeah, they've we're coming away into with modern all. times now, yeah. so things are things are developing. They escaped Teddy Roosevelt's presidency. Uh, they're starting to outlive some of their enemies. Until a little flower comes and ruins it all. At uh, five foot two, Fiorello LaGuardia didn't quite cast the image of Tammany's Grim Reaper, and yet the pudgy, high-pitched voiced, necklace Jewish Italian lawyer from Greenwich Village might as well have been Snake fucking Pliskin walking around the streets of Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's his uh, theme song going to be. His entry song, right? Call me Flower. <laughs> That's right. That was Fiorello LaGuardia's nickname was he was known as the Little Flower. That's a true story here. And LaGuardia, and it is insane to me by the way that we are 52 minutes into this podcast and we are just now mentioning the name LaGuardia. I mean this guy is – I could not – I couldn't believe the things that I was reading because it was almost so over the top with how this guy lived his life that it wasn't believable. Yeah. But uh, LaGuardia was a graduate of NYU Law School. And he became known as a fiery political reformer, that word popping up here again, earning the admiration of many members of Teddy Roosevelt's progressive party, a.k.a. the Bull Moose Party, proving once again, do not fuck with (laughs) Teddy Roosevelt. (laughs) All right? I was actually just reading something about Teddy online, and uh, someone said this quote when he died. He was like, death had to get him in his sleep. Because <laughs> <laughs> if, if it was during the day, he <laughs> yeah, would have put up a fight. The shit. <laughs> there, is a, there is a Chuck Norris vibe to uh, yeah. old TR. Yeah. Um, but LaGuardia here uh, is fascinating because he actually proves to be the perfect enemy for Tammany Hall. You could say that Teddy Roosevelt was big business and uh, – I'm sorry, a wealthy family, blah, blah. You could say that uh, you know he was uh, a nativist. You could dismiss all that. Uh, he was a racist, a warmonger. You can't really do that with LaGuardia. 
LaGuardia is fiery, enigmatic, enjoys the spotlight, and declared himself in open war with Tammany Hall. And he was also easy to like because he had served in World War I with the Army Air Service. He was also the son of immigrants, okay? And he represented a diverse community in East Harlem. Now, you want to talk about appealing to the immigrants the to way that— Could you do your constituents— Especially to the fact that uh, if you want to talk about that immigrant voting block that Tammany Hall used to control all of New York City for these years, you're going to have a hard time uh, arguing with a guy who can speak Italian, Yiddish, and Croatian. <laughs> all right, yeah. He's going to pull in some of those voting blocks. You know, It's right. not, just a, right. not just a bunch of dumb patties from Ireland anymore. Yeah, well, at this particular point in time, too, we're now facing a, a different immigrant wave. I mean, back in the days of Boss Tweed, the, the Irish and the German, Irish Catholic and German Catholic were the two biggest immigrant waves. At this point now, we're having uh, um, some of the Southern European Italians uh, are very much predominant within the, the next immigrant wave. So who are you going to appeal to? Which is why um, the, the, the Catholic thing, people don't realize this, that's why one of the, the two most common shared uh, ancestries, if you will, for marriages for immigrants at this time was German-Irish and then Irish-Italian. Right. So, And that's all because they all deal with the wizard and the Vatican, the man in the pointy <laughs> white hat. Um, but uh, in 1919, Tammany runs uh, Robert L. Moran for president of the New York City Alderman. This is a pretty prolific position here. The uh, Republicans ran LaGuardia. And then uh, on a party known as the Liberty Party, as uh, you made me do my homework on, LP, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this guy decided he was going to write – this is a great name. You can't tell if he's a politician or a boxer. Uh, Michael Dynamite Mike Kelly, a hero of the old Irish Brigade in World War One. So you got to – It's mean, a very a, Irish nickname. Uh, <laughs> the Shamrock Battalion in World War One was some badass Who do you think Michael too? Dynamite Mike Kelly is a bit of a <laughs> – I speak from the old side. <laughs> This is this is Dynamite Mike, guys. <laughs> boy, oh, you'll, oh, you'll be answering to Dynamite Mike, boy. Oh. Well, the the problem here, is, even worse, is that uh, like we were saying earlier, Dad, Tammany doesn't learn from its mistakes no, ever. No. So when you hear a name like Dynamite Mike, do you think, ah, oh, here's a guy that's he doesn't have any strong opinions? I right? think I'm about right. to watch a very shitty cartoon on Boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dynamite. Yeah, but Mike. I mean, part of Tammany's problem now with with uh, Dynamite Mike Kelly is that you know their their old power base, the uh, Irish Catholic uh, immigrant. Uh, you got a guy like Dynamite Mike Kelly that is appealing to him. You're going to run an Irish hero. war hero. Right, right. He just went overseas to fight with um, what was during the Civil War, the, the Fighting 69th, and is now— uh, The Irish Brigade. The Irish Brigade. that They're now overseas and fighting for, for liberty over there. Um, and uh, the Liberty Party that uh, Mike Kelly is representing— is got uh, very strong um, sentiments towards the uh, the newly formed Irish Republic, or what was trying to become the Irish Republic, and you know, Mr. President Wilson um, is trying to put together the uh, the League of Nations, and they're very much against that for for their own. Um, you know, for the for the folks back home in the old sod in, in Ireland, that uh, they were against that whole situation. So, um, yeah, so their their power base, if you will, is being divided or further divided. So, what's Tammany do? Tammany decides, like, because they, they don't learn ever, they shoot <laughs> themselves in the foot again. And what they do is they uh, offer uh, a bribe to Dynamite Mike, saying, "Hey, uh, how about you don't run? That way, we don't split the Irish vote." And um, 
like we said, Dynamite Mike, uh, the thinking man's man. A man who was, you know, just a very passive guy, laid back. <laughs> That's right. Kind of like the big Lebowski. He's uh, not going to go off. No, you Dynamite pissed, Mike. <laughs> you offer that dude a bribe, you pissed him way off, and he refuses to leave the ballot. Tammany then takes action to the New York Supreme Court and has Kelly blocked from running by saying that the people that uh, – uh, some of the uh, – signatures that he got on his uh, nomination form uh, were obtained criminally. So they go ahead and they, uh, they have him blocked. That had nothing to do with Tammany's uh, fixing, <laughs> fixing it with the, with the courts. Okay, so then they overplay their hand yet right. again. You're they go through all these the things. You're talking about the dangling chads or hanging ballots. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a recount. So now the, uh, the best part here is that uh, the day of the election uh, comes around. Kelly is blocked from running. Uh, so you got LaGuardia versus Moran, okay? And uh, LaGuardia beats Moran by less than 1,500 votes. But of all the votes they – so keep in mind, less than 1,500 votes decided the election for LaGuardia. Okay, 3,500 votes, twice the amount that won LaGuardia the election, twice that amount uh, wrote in Dynamite Mike Kelly as a write-in a write-in candidate ballot. just to say, fuck you to Tammany Hall. <laughs> so, as my father will tell you, Kahuna, you can tell the Irish, you just can't tell, tell them much. much. <laughs> So uh, this leads us now to uh, the mayoral race of 1933. Big, big ticket item here. In 1932, Tammany's uh, mayor, if you will, the the guy who was representing them as the mayor, uh, James Walker, Jimmy Walker, Dynamite, um, was forced from office by scandal. How unusual for a a Tammany (laughs) candidate. Well, the the country at large is fed up with corruption stemming from the top of the presidency yet again with the reform-minded cousin – of Teddy Roosevelt, Mr. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So don't fuck with TR, but maybe don't fuck with FDR. Yeah, right. <laughs> I would say let's just put that to the Roosevelts. <laughs> well, it's the thing. You wouldn't want – Teddy Roosevelt was a big, badass, bruising guy, and then FDR towards the end of his life. You could probably take him in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> um, FDR removed federal patronage from Tammany Hall, uh, and FDR was a, quote, Democrat. But he endorsed LaGuardia for mayor, even though LaGuardia was a, quote, Republican. Uh, both men admired one another, and they kind of realized that their maverick tendencies. We talk about John McCain being a maverick because he was a conservative that appealed to Democrats and vice versa. Um, there was a uh, uh, reaching across the aisle, if you will, for these two. They realized that uh, they were the best hope for defeating the political machine that had plagued both of their hometowns. These were both New Yorkers here. Right. And they're getting a little bit tired of the FDR corruption. FDR and, and uh, LaGuardia are both. Yep. Right. And they're a little bit sick of the hometown corruption over here. So they want to go ahead and uh, they realize if we work together, we can knock these dudes around a little bit. So uh, FDR supported LaGuardia on what was known as a fusion ticket, running him for mayor against John P. O'Brien of Tammany Hall and Joseph McKee of the Recovery Party. And this was a dirty election. We talk about politics. It's more dirty today than it was before, and it used to not be no, like no. this. It was always like this. <laughs> right. So the mudslinging is out of control on this one. And LaGuardia was being painted as a red commie with far-left tendencies. McKee was being painted as an anti-Semite, right, which uh, you know you don't want to work on that shit. And then O'Brien was beholden to the mafia because he was part of Tammany Hall, and he was you know the, the face of corruption was uh, O'Brien. A vote for O'Brien was a vote for shit to stay as it was. Uh, LaGuardia was able to win this election by running on the pledge of ending corruption and appealing to the swing block of voters in the more recently arrived Jews and Italians. LaGuardia was uh, Jewish on his mother's side and Italian on his father's side. So he was also interesting too because I believe he was – his father was a lapsed Catholic. 
So there was a little bit of contention there, but you were able to, okay, well, we're going to go with this guy. He's at least saying he's going to end the corruption. So LaGuardia's election now proves to be the first nail in the coffin of Tammany Hall. All right, The machine that was running New York City is now about to get shattered by a guy who's five foot two and probably <laughs> and probably 30 to 40 pounds overweight. So, What year is this going on now? Uh, this is right after he wins the election. Uh, so now the crazy part is that within his first hundred days of winning the, the mayorship, if you will. LaGuardia. Of, uh, of, yeah. LaGuardia, or LaGuardia wins and now within the first hundred days of his uh, office. He accomplishes all of his campaign promises. He ran on five things, accomplished all five of them. Uh, some of that was he decided he was going to shatter the patronage system. He replaced that with a merit-based program for civil service. So the whole Tammany Hall like, oh, you know, you kick up a little bit to me and I'll, right. I'll make something happen Pays for you. Pays your money, we'll give you a job. It's now at least on paper they're trying to do something about it. With And it's civil service commission is, I mean, that's insanity uh, what they're dealing with. Now. I've had my minimal dealings with them through uh, veteran stuff and it's <laughs> – <laughs> There's no patronage system because there is no system. Shit just doesn't work anymore. <laughs> but I would almost encourage a patronage system to return down there. Oh, man. But uh, so uh, he also cleans out the city, uh, the corruption. Uh, he starts removing uh, Tammany Hall people from positions of power. Uh, he starts attacking uh, organized crime very effectively too, by the way, and starts revitalizing the city's infrastructure while also modernizing it. So now you're getting the subway systems, the trains, all that other stuff. He's revitalizing the infrastructure and also bringing it into you know the spirit that not the spirit of times, the actual technological achievements of the times. Not gonna lie, never knew much about LaGuardia. Like I knew, well, I knew. Oh, you're just a shitty airport. Now I feel bad because <laughs> he's a shitty airport. No, he is. Uh, it's weird that you say that too because um, what happens with him? He's considered one of New York's finest mayors of all time. Right. And uh, I mean, you can see why too. The way they talk. There's also a line just just for you because you're a fucking nerd, Kahuna. Um, <laughs> I'm a nerd for this movie too. That's why I love it. <laughs> Ghostbusters 2. Hey. Ghostbusters 2 when they um, uh, the mayor's talking when the, the spirits are all coming back in. The Titanic finally makes it into harbor. Yeah. Right? Uh, the mayor of New York is sitting there talking to the Ghostbusters. He goes, you know, uh, I was talking with Fiorello LaGuardia last night for about 20 minutes. <laughs> only problem he's been, is he's he been was... dead 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember that line. Oh, man. But uh, so this is how cool he was, man. Uh, people loved him. All right. He was uh, considered one of the most popular mayors of all time, one of the most important ones in the history. Passes uh, – literally gets everything done that he promised he was going to get done. Uh, and he was uh, reelected two other times, I believe. Um, but what happens with him is that uh, he's also able to start smashing organized crime within the city. LaGuardia and FBR, uh, FDR rather, proved to be a formidable team to restore the image of New York City. Uh, Infamous gangster named Lucky Luciano was placed behind bars due to pressure from LaGuardia, who hated the image that gangsters gave his Italian heritage. Dad, who is Lucky Luciano? Uh, Lucky Luciano was uh, – he was the starter of a, an Italian social club that <laughs> <laughs> came to be known as the Cosa Nostra. It's sanitation. Yeah. Uh, Lucky Luciano actually got his start. He's an Italian immigrant. Uh, got his start in the Lower East Side, and he was really his first involvement was with the Five Points gang. That this happened to be an Italian gang that was right within the heart of the Lower East Side, which was so infamous for the as the the melting pot, if you will. Of, you mean uh, Chinatown? <laughs> well, not not quite, but I mean you, you know the Five Points was also where the uh, the Irish were, the Italians. Uh, the Jews. I mean, it was a it was a huge melting pot of uh, immigrant the immigrant wave, if you will. Um, got his start by 
um, offering protection money to the various businesses and also to um, uh, some of the merchants and stuff within the thing. But uh, he rises to power within the uh, the crime uh, the crime syndicate, if you will, and he was the guy, the mastermind, to really to bring. All, all of the what they became known as the five families of New York that um, to, to, to form the board, <laughs> the board of trustees, if you will, of the of all the uh, illicit operations within the city of New York. So, um, yeah, he was he was big. He 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 was uh, the the boss of the bosses, the copy to copy. And they thought he was going to be untouchable. He winds up getting put in jail because LaGuardia literally says, "Put him in jail. I don't care what it is. Just find something on him." All right. So he pretty much became public enemy number one for a little while while he was there. Uh, now, the other guy that was uh, get taken down was uh, Frank Costello, who was uh, – Costello was the second um, uh, in command, if you will. Costello was still able to run the mafia, but he had to run it from jail because right. LaGuardia had him locked up as well. Now, uh, the other thing that he said is that LaGuardia actually made a big public spectacle of this. He referred to uh, slot machines as one-armed bandits. <laughs> All right, which is pretty accurate here, especially my sister Carrie's down in Atlantic City right now. And uh, according to the weekend she's had, she would agree they are bandits. Um, so it's a great when, nickname for a slot machine. Him, oh, and even better too is that now when he finds them, he uh, has all of Costello's uh, machines destroyed so that the public can see it. So now it's it's literally he's flipping a giant middle finger to them. And then celebrating on top of it. So he's having his own little Super Bowl parade of uh, smashing organized crime here. But ah. uh, even cooler now is that uh, it didn't matter if you were um, a legal crook per se. Like Tammany was technically a legal criminal organization. <laughs> um, guy Jimmy Hines, one of the head sachems of Tammany Hall, they also find out that he's uh, – they're able to prove that he received bribes. And he gets sent to prison as well due to LaGuardia. So LaGuardia, five foot two just cleaned house i mean just beat the ever-loving yeah, he, shit he was a fireball uh tammy doesn't even stand it and it's not even there's no resistance to it they can't stop him because he's got the backing of the president right and he's wildly popular in the city right, so right. it's it's almost like uh the, the only guy i can try to compare him to is almost like giuliani like the, we were talking about on the ride down that law and order candidate right. he was and with his relationship with FDR, he's able to bring in a lot of federal monies to make all these various improvements. So the people are seeing all these vast improvements, and he's going after the the, the old guard, the, the way things used to be done with Tammany Hall. And like he's 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 everybody's hero kind of a thing. That He's making it life better for everybody. Once you're backed by the federal government, LaGuardia has fuck you money. That's right. That's pretty much what it came <laughs> down to. Now, uh, despite a brief resurgence under uh, Carmine DeSapio, the juggernaut known as uh, Tammany Hall is now clinically dead. All right? It's pretty much – it still exists in a very small, tiny capacity uh, for a while there. But they never had any sort of power after that. I mean LaGuardia just I mean, mopped the floor with them. It wasn't even close. So the political machine that moved Aaron Burr to one breath from the presidency, the party that built and developed the Upper West Side – the party that indoctrinated newly arrived immigrants into the American way of life and politics, the party synonymous with corruption and power, is now finally powerless. All right? They pulled all this shit off, man. They were responsible for a lot of good things, but far more bad things. The hall leaves behind a complex legacy. Uh, some of its practices are still in use today. Uh, modern politics uh, has thankfully uh, abandoned some of the other tactics, such as uh, cooping, 
which is where we beat the ever-loving shit out of you if you don't vote for our guy. <laughs> and the Blocks oh, yeah. of Eight, which goes back to our first episode, Grover Cleveland was defeated uh, by Benjamin Harrison. That's why he wasn't able to run consecutive terms as president uh, because he was defeated in his initial re-election uh, bid because of the Blocks of Eight, which is where you would see somebody was going to vote against your best interest so you'd offer them money at the ballot. Right. It wasn't a, it wasn't a uh, private ballot, a secret ballot. You, everybody within the room could see who you voted for by what color ballot you were dropping into the ballot box. And the same thing with our uh, another American loser, Edgar Allan Poe, was uh, found unconscious uh, and beaten and drugged and right, left for dead. poisoned uh, outside of a voting booth due to cooping. So thankfully, we've gotten rid of a lot of that stuff. But a lot of the stuff Tammany Hall did still in effect in modern uh, politics here as well. You know, the idea of uh, some of the, uh, the street meetings to go out there and make a speech or whatever, or to pretend that you're for the working man, but really you're, you're just making a little bit less money than the actual 1%. So the 2% of America, that's the people who are, you know, fighting the good fight for the 1%. Right. <laughs> and as you're riding your bicycle across the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, coming into work every day or <laughs> going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art or, uh, as you said, the Upper West Side, that, uh, yeah, that's uh, Tammany Hall, so... I did admire. I'm not trying to justify. Or City Hall. City Hall was built by Tammany Hall. Did, uh, and is it, what a, a gorgeous building that is. And then walking around the Met with you the other day, I'm sitting there just looking up at the, the not even the cool shit that's inside of the Met, but just looking at the building and the structure of the Met itself. I just looked around. I was like, man, corruption is pretty. <laughs> you might have overpaid a little so bit. So what, Tammany Hall was responsible for the construction of the Met? Yeah, they set a lo- uh, aside a lot of the um, the land and everything else that was going to eventually come into that. And uh, the second episode we covered, I mean, the the bill that they wrote for City Hall and the other courthouses and stuff, I mean, it's unreal. Right. Oh, but uh, okay. this was a clear-cut victory for LaGuardia, who is considered to this day to be the most important mayor of all time. Right. Not just the mayor of New York, but yeah. mayor. Mayor, exactly. <laughs> the title mayor. I mean, that's, right. He's legally. That's the gold standard. Right. Um, Tammany Hall was home for a while to uh, the New York Film Academy, which uh, my good friend Greg Standall was a uh, graduate of. Now you're talking the actual hall, the building itself. Yep, the Tammany Hall order. itself, right. where uh, now it was housing uh, the New York Film Academy, so a room full of dreamers. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is now being converted into apartments with some portions being set aside for historical preservation. Uh, Lagar- uh, LaGuardia, Fiorello, our boy, uh, obviously has an airport named after him, like Kahuna was saying which uh, was meant to be an honor. But uh, most of the time, whenever people mention his name nowadays, it's to complain. You know, fucking LaGuardia. <laughs> I can't stand driving so, out there. Yeah, they should have named it, if it were going to be as ineffective as they were, uh, they should have named it Tammany Hall yeah, Airport. Or Tweed. Were, yeah, Tweed Airport. <laughs> fucking Tweed! <laughs> Tweed Airport or Tammany Airport. See, yeah. like, that would make sense. But, like, mm. Well, they're, they're in the process of rebuilding the whole thing. Slowly but surely, right? Now, um, not from that. that is, uh, that's going to be the wrap on American Loser here for us for uh, that part of the episode. I got uh, one other thing I got to bring up. We, we had a banger to go out on here in terms of a, a, a little-known fact. Okay. But um, while we're here, this is the conclusion of the three-part episode. I would say this is our most ambitious topic by far. Well, it, take, it took us three weeks to... Yeah, and, and in truth, there could <laughs> have been a fourth. We were leaving a lot of stuff out, quite frankly, that yeah. 
and we're really, really scratching the surface of well, that, Tammy That's why Wall, I'm going to throw back to you for, for whatever we missed here in a second. But I did want to just say, uh, as always, thank you to uh, Mike and Ming over at A Shared Universe for letting us do this. Thank you to the Kahuna for sitting behind the ones and twos today, buddy. No problem. Um, if you guys like the show, you guys like what we're doing, our feedback's been awesome. Uh, I've been tracking the numbers on SoundCloud. We're growing uh, in a good way here. I've been watching it. I know I've been missing. I've been AWOL for this three-parter in a little bit. Oh, I can like, tell who listens. Like, <laughs> it's, I've been seeing it. I'm like, yo, this is awesome. Awesome. I'm happy that the numbers are doing really well. Well, we want to keep growing. It's our, our hope is if uh, you're listening out there, if you haven't uh, liked, subscribed, or left us a review on iTunes. They're members of Tammany Hall. That would, Yeah, that would really <laughs> help us out here, guys. So if you can leave us the review or even just a, a quick star ranking or whatever, that helps us out with getting the podcast uh, uh, distributed more, if you will, on iTunes. So that when you search history or American Loser or anything like that, we're going to show up faster in the search results. So by leaving us the review, you promulgate um, – the podcast Ooh, for us. Which that's is, a big word. Who's a, I used that word one time uh, in the Navy, and my commanding officer said, is your nose bleeding? Are you having a stroke? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that being said, if you can check out uh, kpburksucks.com uh, or kpburkcomic.com, either or will take you to the same website. Uh, that's my comedy website. going to have a bunch of my upcoming dates on there. I'm very much looking forward to uh, – Ending 2018 by working with uh, one of the best comics in the business, uh, Big Jay Okerson, down in Uncle Vinny's in Point Pleasant. Uh, I had my wild weekend uh, with uh, Dave Attell over at the Stress Factory. I mean, this year that was an insane thing. And uh, like I said, this this is my dream project here. Uh, this is uh, – I'm having fun doing this. I think we have fun researching it, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, I know you got a All couple things. All those like holy shit moments. <laughs> Well, uh, if you could do me a favor, if you could uh, uh, follow the show, uh, support the show any way you can with um, leaving us the reviews, liking us on SoundCloud, iTunes, shit like that. Uh, you can find me at, at KP Burke Sucks on Instagram and Twitter, KP Burke on Facebook. Uh, love interacting with you guys. Love the fans of the show. Uh, we, we had some really good feedback at the Christmas party uh, for a shared universe here on uh, yes. this past Friday, <laughs> uh, which is a good excuse to show up and drink uh, Ming's beer. But um, that being said, LP. We left a few things out here. I want to make sure we get to them because you, you do quality research every week. You keep me on my toes. <laughs> you really do. You keep me on my toes with this shit. Uh, hit me with what that's you a, got that's a, that's a dad's job, right? That's to uh, <laughs> keep you on the, on the up and up. Yeah, while we're going through with some of this, uh, one of the little tidbits that I came upon was uh, the state legislature had appointed Teddy Roosevelt to go down and try to clean up uh, New York City and specifically the police department. And uh, at that particular time, there was a, a gentleman, William Stephen DeVry, uh, Big Bill DeVry, uh, DeVry um, who was working as a police captain within the city at the time. And uh, he was like the, the pinnacle of corruption within the, the police department. No. Uh, no, I, I know it was all Officer Joe Bolton type of stuff. But uh, um, he was quoted that... Uh, as a police captain, he once told his men, they tell me there's a lot of grafting going on in this precinct. They tell me that the fellows with the fiercest are, are the fiercest ever on graft. Now, that's going to stop. If there's any grafting to be done, I'll do it. Leave it to me. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, he, he wanted to be the, the large and in charge. If, if there's a payola or a kickback, uh, he's the number one guy. And he was very blatant about it, actually, right out onto the sidewalk, taking the, taking the money right in plain sight from everybody. There was a uh, popular journalist at the time that wrote of Devery, as a, poli- as a chief of police, he's a disgrace. But as a character, he's a work of art. <laughs> uh, anyhow, um, he was charged with uh, with corruption and convicted. 
uh, and then later had that conviction overturned, was reinstated within the police department, not only as a captain, but as an elevation. He, he was elevated in rank, uh, became uh, vice uh, deputy uh, or uh, yeah, vice deputy police chief, and then actually became police chief, chief of police uh, through the political system, if you will. Um, there was a, a time when uh, Tammany Hall lost the, the mayoral election and he was ousted. And upon his retirement, if you will, from the, the police department. Stand by for a what the fuck moment, by the way. <laughs> Whoa, okay. It's brewing uh, here. Dirty cop retiring. Dirty cop retiring. Um, more than d- dirty cop. I mean, chief of police w- retiring from the New York City Police Department, New York City's finest. He with another guy, Frank J. Farrell. Um, who was a saloon keeper, uh, owned a casino within the city, and you know obviously he wasn't of the uh, the straight and narrow uh, type. Uh, uh, Frank Farrell and uh, Big Bill Stephen Devery um, go down and, and buy a uh, baseball team. Uh, that baseball team happened to be uh, at the at that particular time back in uh, 1903 was in Baltimore, and they were known as the Baltimore Orioles. And uh, Big Bill Devery and uh, uh, Frank Farrell move them back to New York, and they become the Highlanders. Now, the Highlanders was a, a, an American League baseball team. They moved it back to, the, to New York, and um, they almost win the pennant in 1904. Now, this is early days of baseball, um, but um, they, they have a, a stadium built in Hilltop, Hilltop Park, on the Upper West Side of Broadway between 165th and 168th Street. Now, imagine that today, right? We are at 165th Street and 168th Street with this baseball stadium. They say it was a really shit stadium. I mean, it was a (laughs) a swamp in right field, and it was all kinds of rocks and everything else. But um, uh, they um, then play play a few years within this – Hilltop Park Stadium. Uh, then they have some problems with with the stadium, and they they um, start sharing a stadium with what were the New York Giants, uh, the uh, the New York uh, baseball Giants, the base, New York baseball. Not to Giants. be confused with Eli and the right. boys, and they're playing at a little park called the Polo Grounds. Now, oh, one of the not not the polo grounds that we might remember this day and age, but the predecessor to the polo grounds, because just as uh, Hilltop Stadium was would then move to house what became the Yankees, the New York Yankees, so the, the Highlanders became the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees and the the Giants are playing within the same stadium. They're, they're sharing the stadium at the polo grounds, and then much later they move on to... Uh, um, to their own stadium in, in the Bronx, but uh, kind of interesting that we have these two major league baseball teams, um, both in the American and National League, playing within Manhattan proper um, back in back in the day. Um, eventually, uh, Big Bill Devery and, and uh, his his buddies sell the team. I think in 1915 or so, and then uh, move on from there. But uh, yeah, 1915. But interesting that uh, the Yankees get their start from the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles are moved north to New York. They become the Highlanders, which becomes the, the Yankees. And once they become the Yankees, then they, 
they uh, they buy a guy from the Boston Red Sox by the name of Babe Ruth, and we just go on from there in the history of the Yankees that uh, go on to become the most winningest sports franchise um, in in the in the world. So <laughs> of ever. we owe twenty seven World Series championships to a corrupt police cop, a police commissioner rather, who was a friend of Tammany Hall's. That's it. That's it. So we have Damn. Tammany Hall to thank for. For the the winningest team, of, of uh, the all Macy's time. Day Parade, the Met, the Upper West Side, um, and now the New York Yankees. You know what? I'm I'm corruption's good. I'm okay with it. <laughs> that's right, right. I'm gonna be all right. But uh, holy shit, man! I know we went long. Maybe on this that's one. why. That's why we have to spend so much money though for a beer at Yankee Stadium because uh, <laughs> it continues, right? <laughs> oh my yeah. god! I don't Fuck know. Just on this. <laughs> Holy hell. No, uh, that being said, uh, this has been an absolute blast doing this one here with you, LP. Thank you for everything. Uh, guys, we're going to say goodbye on this. We know we went long on this. Thank you for your patience with this one. We had an absolute blast. We'll be back in regular single-serving episodes after this, <laughs> I promise you, right. for my own sanity. But, guys, uh, I'm KP Burke, and that was Tammany Hall Part 3, American Loser. Thank you. An American loser the day I was born. American loser the day I was born An American loser the day I was born